Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. It's Cormac and Sir here on Room 104. What's the crack? Um, in about... Half an hour's time, after a little bit after half eleven, you're going to hear from a psychologist about what impact watching comedy movies has on your brain. Well, we just want to know if you were to pick an all-time greatest top three comedy movies, what would be in your top three list? We're trying to put a trying to put a you know a merged list together here. One we can agree on is Super Bad going in there at number three. But if you have any other others to add to the list, oh eight seven six seven nine seven one zero four. Irish movies coming in as well. The uh, you said the Snapper. There's the Van. There's also the Commitments. Oh yeah, the Commitments. So is out brilliant. of those three, which one are you picking? Hmm. I'm gonna uh, stick with the Snapper. Who is that in from, by the way? <sighs> I keep forgetting your name. Random secret person who sent us in that. Uh, the Commitments. Commitments. The Snapper. Or the Van. What are you putting in? I'm gonna put in the Snapper. Actually, I want to put in the Van. I think the Van's the best out of those is three. Brilliant as well, though. I know. I wasn't wasn't Glenn Hansard in the commitments? I think he was in the band. Was he? Yeah. Why oh. didn't Glenn Hansard was in that? Airplane has to be in there. Okay, if you like that old slapstick comedy kind of punny funny movies. Oh, I think I know what Airplane is. I think that's an eighties movie as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like what's your vector, Victor? Yes. Actually, yeah, that was quite funny. Um that's not a bad one either. Man about dog. Never seen it. Talladega Nights we have Mrs. Doubtfire we have yeah a lot of ones in there uh, all the National Lampoons if you're into your old school stuff now that's like the life of Brian and stuff that's really they haven't really come out with any brand new extremely funny comedies what would have been the last one do you know that what wasn't bad what was the one about the end of the world with Seth Rogen and the other guys in it Rihanna had a cameo in it same thing, like, if you were good, you go to heaven. If not, you were left on hell, left on earth, which was turning into hell. Uh, who's his friend? Seth Rogen's mate who got in a little bit of trouble over allegations. He doesn't talk to anymore. James Franco. Oh, yeah. Two of them are in it. And I think Seth Rogen, James Franco. I think Jonah Hill's in that one as well. That's a very funny movie. I haven't seen that one. No? no. Very good. It's a similar style to Superbad, I think, that kind of. Oh, okay. Oh, hang on. Do you know what movie I pissed myself laughing at? Absolutely pissed myself laughing at the one sausage party. Oh. Seth Rogen wrote that and voiced that. You know, when the supermarket, it's the animated cartoon one when they're in the supermarket. Oh, I vaguely do. Have remember. you not seen that? 
I think I have oh, seen that. Oh, I was in tears laughing that. at that. Oh, I was in tears laughing at that. I think it's called Sausage Party, isn't it? Yeah. Let's that quickly now. Sausage Party. I think it's Sausage Party. Yeah, I do. Sausage. I do remember seeing that, but again, I think I was too young, was I? No, no. What are you on? It's 2016. Oh, no, I haven't seen that then. Have you not seen this? No. Oh, do you know what I was God. thinking of? Uh, what, what's that other animation? American something. Oh. No. The animation, the funny one. Team America. Yeah, team. team Oh my America. God, how do we forget that? Team America, yeah. Oh, now my list is gone. Like, am I putting in, I, I'd probably put Team America in my top three now. That's, yeah, because I <clears> saw that years ago and I didn't get it and I saw it last year and I cried laughing. Jeez, I'd put Team America Sausage Party in there and probably Anchorman? Oh no. Yeah. Came to the Greek, nah. Hangover, yeah, grand. Yeah, Team America. Is that the funniest movie of all time? Have you ever seen a man eat his own head? <laughs> what a movie. What a movie. Uh, all right, 87 <clears throat> What was the Leslie Nielsen movie where he plays the bumbling investigator? Oh, yeah. Not look who's talking. Naked Gun? Actually, do you know what's a really... Was it Naked Gun? Cute film. That's kind of funny. Look who's talking. Yeah. Look who's talking too. That was very good. Any like Disney movies technically funny? Mm. Trains, planes and automobiles. Is that meant to be a funny humorous one? Is that a comedy? I've heard of that one as well. Oh, I'm trying to think. Is there any other? What There's one? no re- reoccurring theme here. No, everyone, everyone, everyone's, you know. Going with their own one. Everyone's way off the mark now. So what are we saying? Top three. Excuse me. My we, voice is breaking we, we on the air. We don't have a top three. <clears throat> Literally. I, I can't even... I would put Team America. I can't even whittle together three from what we're getting in. Team America, Team Super America. Bad, and The Van. Okay, I'm sticking with... Okay, I might stick Team America in there. Okay, Team America, Super Bad. Okay. I'm forgetting Sarah Marshall. It has to be. It's just too good. I think Sausage Party's funnier. I need to watch that again. You need to watch that with a beer. Sausage Party. Yeah. I, I probably need to watch it with many things. Um, Andy messaged in saying, uh, Tough Guys, great movie, so funny. Uh, is that... Burt mm. Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. I, I feel like that's an oldie. Do you know what's funny? The other guys with Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. And this, the other guys, isn't Will Ferrell being normal Will Ferrell that you know from Anchorman. He's actually really, really good in that movie. Um, I think you'd like the other guys. I think I think you'd like that movie. Yeah, I probably would. It's for, and again, it's very dry and very subtle. Yeah. Subtle humour is my favourite. Anchorman. Uh, you see, I agree with you. 100% Marina. 100%. Seriously doesn't. And then Scary Movie. Okay, actually... Oh, I hated Scary Movie. I hated all those parody so movies. So did I. Now, a lot of people are texting in, this isn't fair, TV shows. And yes, the Inbetweeners movie, 100%. Sean, yes. <laughs> Sean! The Inbetweeners in general. Yeah. My God, I love that show. Uh, the movie was... There was two movies. Wasn't the one when they went to... Was it Ibiza? They went on whatever it was. And then the second one, they went to Australia. Actually... The first also, one was brilliant. The first one was absolutely brilliant. The dancing scene, that was from the movie, wasn't it? The dancing scene when the three of them are dancing up to the women in the empty nightclub. Yes. Yeah. Harry Enfield. 
What was that comedy he was in? Uh, Damn it, that was so funny. When he went to Ibiza. Yeah. Now that is I, I, I remember the name of it, yeah. Do you remember the name of it? Uh, no. Uh, do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, I've written it down here. my head. <laughs> what is that called? Do you know that, Harry Enfield? Because it's not, well, it's him. It's two of his characters, though. Yeah. Yeah. So you just know what it is. So good. The soundtrack to that. Oh, it's Whopper. Class. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. 104. Uh, any other suggestions on the greatest movies of all time? Or comedy movies? We're looking to put together the top three. Team America snuck in. Superbad has snuck in there as well. I mean, Sausage Party, Anchorman, The Snapper, The Commitments. Uh, let us know. 0876797104 because we're trying to flesh out this list. Before we go home now. Now, what's evening, that? Blazing Saddles. This is coming twice, saddles. actually. Yeah, Blazing Saddles. And then you have the Norman Wisdom and Crazy and Carry On movies. Yeah, they're kind of old. <sighs> yeah, anything recent. Like, anything in the last kind of five to ten years. Well, no real movies. Have many good movies come out in the last three years? Last two years, there hasn't been much. But you don't think, in terms of films, comedy is lacking hugely in the last few years. Like, there hasn't been a really funny film that's been released. You know, like a proper, you need to go to cinema to see this. It's gas. Uh, let's see, comedy movies 2019. Well, Zombievers was a classic. Zombievers was terrible. <laughs> it just was, you know. Do you know what? That that movie wasn't too bad. Murder Mystery. Yeah, with Jennifer Aniston and uh, Jennifer Aniston and your man Adam Sandler. Oh, no. Even you hear the two of them in the film, you're like, I don't go and watch it. Is this the same one? I think it's where they're playing They're playing a, a, one of those fake murder mystery game board games in a gaff. Is that what it is? I think that's what it is. That's not too bad, actually. If this is the one I'm talking about. Murder mystery. Uh... No. No, what's the one? You know your man who stars in Ozark? And he was in... Oh, what's his face? Who's the guy who's... Stars in Ozark. And they're having a, a board game. They have a board game every week. And they do like a... A dangerous murder mystery kind of board game thing. And then someone dies. Jason Bateman. There you go. That movie. He was in a really funny comedy movie. He and was, it looked actually. like it was going to be terrible. And then it was actually really, really funny. Yeah, I've seen him in a few comedies. It's decent. Uh, do, 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 do. Where do we see? Yeah, so comedy movies. What were some of the best comedy movies um, over the last while? Comedy movies in 2019 or 2020? It's pretty poor, isn't it? Not much coming out. Not much coming out at all. All right, we'll get this list done and dusted. Uh, still to come on the show, by the way, you're going to hear next from a psychologist who knows, uh, well, we'll be talking about the science and the neuroscience as to what goes in your head or what goes on inside your head when you're watching comedy, why you laugh, what's the, what's the point of even laughing in the first place? Um, I'm trying to think, any of the comedy movies that came out, Jexy, your man's face, I recognise it. Do you know what was a good one? Did you see that fake documentary about the drawing the dicks on the cars on Netflix? No. Hilarious. It was a murder... Have you seen um, Making a Murder, the documentary? Yeah. On? So it's the same kind of style as that, except it's someone who is drawing... Uh, and they're trying to find the guy who's drawing dicks on everyone. On, on Teacher's Cars, yeah. Oh. I can't remember what the name of it. It's on Netflix. Hilarious movie. Okay. Um, if you're into that juvenile kind of comedy, like you're yeah. turning your brain off for that one, but like it is what it is. Don't remember, I don't recognise any of these. Palms, Stuber, Hampstead, Last Christmas, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, like none, none of these... 
The Dead Won't Die, The Beach Bum, Yesterday. None, none of these movies seem in any way good. Or no. I don't even know if they came out over here. I recognise none of them. I, no. just don't, I just don't understand why they're not making any decent comedies. Because they're too busy re uh, Like That's what we stuff. need, though. You know that's what we need. I know, I know. Yeah, there's been no good comedies in the last while. Hasn't been a lot of good movies for the last one, anyway. No. Um, but listen, um, don't go see Reminis uh, with Hugh Jackman in it if, if you can go and see something else. And what are we saying then for the top three? We're going to say Team America. Right. Fine, put in Anchorman because everyone is saying it. Right. And the third one. Uh, I don't know what the third one's going to be. I don't know. I want Super Bad. Or forgetting Sarah Marshall, no one else wants them. So we've two. We've got two. All right. If you can help finalise the decision, drop us a line. Oh eight seven six seven nine seven one zero four. On the way next, the psychology of comedy and the psychology of humour and what exactly happens inside your brain when you're laughing when you find something funny. You're listening to the Room One Hundred Four podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Long. FM One Hundred Four. Because you know we need comedy and laughter now more than ever. Uh, but two. How good is it for your brain? Is it just uh, having a laugh and that's it? But what are some of the uh, positive impacts that watching comedies and having a laugh has uh, and the goings on inside your brain? To help answer that question for you this evening, we are delighted to welcome onto the show from the Media Psychology Research Centre over in California, psychologist Dr. Pamela Rutledge. How are you? I'm very good and delighted to be here. Thanks a million for taking the time to chat to us. Now, comedies are probably my favourite genre. I was watching Bridesmaids again for the 100th time uh, over the weekend and absolutely love it. But what is the research behind this? Like, why is it so good for us? Well, you know, it's it's actually a much more complicated thing than it sounds because what you just described is actually two separate phenomena. One is the enjoyment of the humor and the other is the comfort of watching something again and having that confirmation that that narrative arc you know still exists you get that closure but humor is something that is with us through our entire lifespan, right? Babies start smiling, then they laugh when you surprise them. And humor continues to change and grow over the the lifespan of, of, a, of a person it, to the point where it shifts from response, emotional response, surprise, to our cognitive understanding of a joke. So whatever the relevance of bridesmaids might be funny to you, but it might not be funny to someone else because it's your meaning and your situation that allows those jokes to have special resonance. So to kind of talk then about maybe big picture, do we have any either ideas or theory as to why we evolved to have humor as humans? Oh, absolutely. Humor is a way of releasing, releasing tension and anxiety. So you see a lot of people when they're stressed automatically will crack a joke because that's a way of just releasing a little bit of tension because it actually does make physiological change. Humor is also a way of connecting socially. So if you go back, you know, throughout time, sharing a joke is a way of establishing intimacy to show friendship, to, you know, get everyone to understand that we're not 
enemies. So it really has played a huge amount of social purposes. And it's funny you mentioned that about obviously, you know, making sure we're all friends here and, and you know, the social aspect of humour, because there's nothing more awkward and embarrassing than telling a joke to your friends in a pub or a bar and you realise that no one's going to laugh and no one does laugh. I mean, you feel like the ground is just, you want the ground to swallow you up. I don't think there's anything worse because I think, as you said, your humour is a reflection of so many aspects of you. It's like, you know, it's your political leanings, it's your religious beliefs, it's who you, what you value as a human being that when it doesn't go wrong, you just feel so excommunicated. You're like, oh, I'm an idiot. Oh, that's so true. You know, there's a really cool theory called the benign violation theory that talks about humor as being something that has to violate a social norm, but for the audience to find it funny, it can't be too personal. So in other words, if you're very religious and I make a religious joke, you're not going to find that funny because the violation is too great relative, you know, there's no safety in it. Or if we've just had a major catastrophe and I make jokes about, you know, people disappearing into the earth during an earthquake and you've lost your family members, that's not going to be very funny. So there has to be some kind of social violation and some kind of safety. And, you know, you can see those early social violations with little kids when they start telling potty jokes, right? They know that that's something at a certain point that you're not supposed to do. And, you know, so they laugh or, you know, the 10 year old who who laughs at somebody farting in church, you know, they think (laughs) that's hilarious because it's a social violation. People can certainly change over time. You know, personality traits are in some sense fixed, but things that you do repetitively can change your emotional outlook. So if I practice, for example, gratitude, I can actually improve my baseline optimism. When it comes to comedy, there's been really interesting research showing that when someone tells a lot of jokes, when in fact they're a comedian or they're stand-up, it starts to shift where in the brain the activation occurs. So it moves more from the prefrontal cortex where you're understanding something and translating it to turn it into emotion to something that's more in the temporal lobe where it's that creative thought where things are connecting in weird kind of ways. So comedians aren't born comedians. They learn that craft. I mean, it's a very, you know, it's it's a very time intensive and, as you say, emotionally vulnerable uh, line of work. So they practice and as they practice, they actually rewire their brains. Um, speaking of, again, what's going on in the brains of people, like what areas of the brain do we know are involved in getting a joke and laughing? Well, you know, I don't know that as much as they've accomplished in neuroscience, they aren't able to sort of pin down exactly mm. what means what. However, we do know that jokes have to be processed cognitively because generally speaking, they are social constructions. In other words, you're making a joke about something where things don't fit, but you have to know what does fit in order to know what doesn't fit. You know, you have to know why the elephant joke or the knock-knock joke is funny because you understand puns or because you understand some kind of rhythm. Once you've understood something, then it moves to the emotional part of the brain and you have the physiological response that you get from laughter. And, you know, and one of the sort of coolest things about watching comedy is that people smile while they're watching funny things and often laugh out loud, although people rarely do that alone because laughter is kind of a social phenomenon. But smiling in and of itself changes your body chemistry. If you if you put a pencil in your mouth going side to side, you know, so it sort of forces your mouth into a smile, you'll actually feel better after a few minutes because your mouth just told the rest of your body you're feeling better. 
because you're happy. So there's all of these little intricacies that go on between the brain and the body that really influence how we feel and which is what makes comedy and laughter so powerful. And is there any link between intelligence and humor? Call it sort of cognitive facility and certain kinds of humor are definitely going to go hand in hand because some humor is based on sleight of hand, wordplay, these things that take rapid information processing. But you can't look at a four-year-old telling a potty joke and tell me that it's all about intelligence. It's about what an individual finds funny. So it's very contextual. It's also culturally contextual. Western humor is not going to be the same as Eastern humor because there's a very different perspective about how people connect, what's appropriate social behavior. You know, it's, it was interesting. There's a lot of research on how self-deprecating humor, self-deflating humor, self-defeating humor, this sort of, and the, and the nuance between. But in some cultures, it's very bad manners to promote yourself. So in those cultures, self-deprecating humor is related to better emotions, less depression, all of those things. In Western culture, if you beat up on yourself too much in jokes, that's actually associated with greater depression and greater anxiety. So there's a real cultural shift in how we perceive humor. Yeah, that would be a very much the self-deprecation would very be much like a, an Irish style of humor as well. We would definitely do not want to be blowing our own trumpets and bigging ourselves up. So that would be a very, you know, a common uh, this side of the world. But uh, just on that, if there's, you know, hypothetically someone who does not have a sense of humor and can't laugh because they're just so boring and they've never practiced any of it. Can, is there anything people can do to try and become funnier, to laugh more at life, to, to you know, in, enjoy it a little bit more? The research on humor has shown so many positive benefits in terms of health and stress and all of those things that people have actually created humor therapies, right? So it's play more, watch, you know, look for other things that are humorous. So they make like a list of eight things that you're supposed to do to try and cultivate that lighter attitude, you know, including finding humor in hard things. And so to your point, self-deprecating humor isn't necessarily bad. In fact, it often puts other people at ease. It's a way of of saying we're all the same. We all screw up, you know, here's rather than, as you say, blowing your own horn. But these these things are really important in terms of how we how we connect and that difference. People who have absolutely no sense of humor, I would be looking to see if, are they depressed? In other words, is their worldview so negative? Or in some cases, there have been examples of people with, and I, you know, who's, who's actually suffered brain damage and the part of the brain that is able to process humor gets damaged. And if somebody wants to go and find out a little bit more information, where's the best place to find you? Uh, my website is PamelaRutledge.com. Rutledge, good Irish name, actually come from Ireland. So there you go. Happy days. Well, it's a fascinating area. I'm, I'm sure we'll be exploring this more in the future. But thanks a million for popping on F104 this evening. Uh, my pleasure. Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. to
barely know Swearing this will be the last But it probably won't I got nothing left to lose Or use Or do my bad habits lead to Ed Sheeran, Bad Habits, Cormac and Susha here on Room 104. We were just chatting there about the science and psychology of humour, what happens, and we're trying to find one final movie to go into uh, the top three funniest movies of all time. In your opinion, what would they be? We have agreed on the two, which were Team America Team and... Team America, Anchorman is definitely in there. We're, yep, s- we're stuck yep. with the third one here. Um, horrible Bosses uh, a couple of messages we got in a few moments ago which we are seeing now Siobhan Horrible Bosses yeah good movie Jennifer Aniston's in that as well yeah she's decent in that actually yeah that's a, that's a very good one uh, thank you for that this seems to be all the movies Cormac likes very under how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Democratic boo. Oh okay. What do you want to take out Anchorman? I mean, I said Team America. That's going in number one. So Team America's going in number yeah, one, yeah. You can have Anchorman. Um, great Irish comedy called The Irish Government and Neffet. Yeah, very true. They're <laughs> jokers. <laughs> They're I do jokers. like that. Now we're turning on the news to see what Neffet recommend. Oh, lovely. Happy days. Um, Super bad or surely the second American Pie? Oh, actually, American Pie is a decent film. Mm. 
No, American Pie is good. I do like that. I do like that film. I know a lot of people will have their say, but it it is kind of funny. It is. And the dad's such a perv and it's hilarious. My Cousin Vinny. I don't think I've seen that. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. American Pie. Well, we've got two anyway. Wait, did someone else say Forgetting Sarah Marshall was hilarious? Uh, yeah, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. It's a hilarious movie. Has my, Carl has my humour. Love yeah, it. Carl knows what's going on. Uh, all right, well, let's say Team America, Anchorman. Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Yeah, let's just put it in there. Team America, Saus- Sausage Party. You know, that's what I've written down on my sheets where I can't understand my own handwriting. But if you haven't seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, please go and watch it. It's Ye- worth it. Yeah. It is. 100%. Uh, all right. Uh, still to come on the show this evening, uh, all your music from Lewis Capaldi and say, Save Your Tears. And who else do we have here? Lewis Capaldi. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Long. FM 104. It's Room 104. It's Cormac and Saoirse here. Now, if you consider yourself a proficient bullshitter, are you, in fact, more intelligent than the average person? Might you be at a significant advantage? Well... We're not just talking about that. Uh, very intelligent people from a department of psychology over in the University of Waterloo in Canada have actually asked this question and delved into it a little bit more in detail for you. One of their research projects was titled Bullshit Ability as an Honest Signal of Intelligence. So we had to get this gentleman on, one of the lead researchers on that paper, to talk more about bullshit, what it means for you, what it means for me, what it means for all of us. Delighted to welcome onto the show now this evening, Martin Harry Turpin, sir. How are you? I'm doing quite well. How are you? Yeah, we're doing good, Harry. Uh, now, can you just define what BS actually is? Uh, so the there's actually a little bit of debate, surprisingly, once you, every normal behaviour that people uh, understand in the, in, the, in the real world with like a sort of a casual definition, once you actually take it into the realm of doing research on it, people vehemently disagree mm. about what it specifically means. But what, what the sort of definition that we use is a communication that's intended to be impressive or convincing uh, without necessarily being concerned with the truth. So you can bullshit and say things that are true, and you can bullshit and say things that are untrue, but what characterizes is the bullshit in particular is that you don't really care what's true. You have goals other than being truthful um, that sort of motivate the speech or motivate the communication. A fairly good, clear, concise description of what uh, what bullshit is. Can I ask as well, before we delve into the latest bit of work that you guys did, what um, piqued your interest on studying bullshit? I think uh, bullshit is just one of those really great example uh, examples of humans being humans. It's sort of uh, simultaneously universally disdained, but we do it all the time. And we do it for a variety of different reasons. We use it to avoid hurting people's feelings. So if somebody uh, asks you, oh, do you like my sweater that I have? You might say, it's a good color or um, it's, it looks comfortable instead of actually getting right to the point and saying, no, this looks awful on you. Or I don't like that sweater. Uh, you want to spare their feelings. And so you, you kind of bullshit to get around having to answer that question. Um, we use it to advance ourselves in, in various sort of uh, social competition, convince people there are a lot of political bullshit, et cetera. And uh, we use it just for fun. Like uh, I'm sure you bullshit with your friends all the time about random stuff. And uh, we, we engage in something like uh a form of simulated verbal combat with our with our friends in order to get practice at this very normal human way uh, of communicating. And so that sort of unspecialness of bullshit, the fact that it is just you, this ubiquitous behavior, it's so ordinary uh, and, and just um, 
in order to study humans, you really have to be get a sense of that kind of uh, behavior. So it's just like it's simultaneously this thing that nobody likes, but it's extremely ordinary and everybody engages in some of the time at the very least. And so it's just humanity sort of naked, just like this is what humans do. Um, and I just love that. I love humans and I love uh, understanding the, the weird things we do. I think most people bullshit at one stage or another, but does it make you more intelligent? Uh, so what we find is if somebody is able to do it quite well, that they are, are, are likely quite a bit uh, more intelligent. The analogy that I like to think about it or compare it to is with humor. So if somebody is pretty quick-witted and sharp, they are likely fairly smart. But we can also, in, in our daily lives, we know people who we understand are completely brilliant, but are absolutely not even the little bit, uh, bit funny. So it's like, if somebody is capable of doing it, they are probably quite sharp and, and good. If someone's not capable of doing it, it doesn't necessarily mean the reverse. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are, are less smart. So it just, it seems to be the case that being a good bullshitter and good is probably the, the critical word there because we can probably, we see lots of examples of people attempting bullshitting and failing at various levels. And um, so to get at that really high level where it's, you're going to get most of the stuff past most people's filters, um, you do have to be quite sharp. So it's sort of a prerequisite to sort of the, the artful, really great bullshitting. When you were uh, looking into this late, latest bit of work on the link between, you know, bullshitting abilities and intelligence, like how is there a way to quantify your ability? Like how did you guys measure or what specifically did you look for to determine, aha, he's very good or she's a top notch bullshitter? Uh, a declarative fraction. Oh, and we didn't make up these specific terms. These are part of a uh, a set of items that people use for what's called overclaiming, where if you ask people to say, oh, how much do you know about a particular topic? Um, and they you give them a random word that's not real. It's just a made up word. Um, some people will tend to say, oh, yeah, I know a little bit about uh, declarative fractions. I know something about this made up word that I obviously could not know anything about. And so what we did was we took that set of uh, set of words that included made up terms. And we asked people, you're going to see a bunch of these definitions if you or words rather if you know the definition give us the definition and if you don't know the definition just do your best to say something that you think will be convincing or satisfying to people and so we've sort of we motivate them artificially to do the actual bullshitting so that we can clearly tap into the ability part and mm. and the the motivation aspect whether or not somebody would spontaneously engage in it in the in real life that's a, an entirely different area that you could approach it um so yeah we had them make up these explanations for these made up terms. And then we got a bunch of do, uh, people to to read their definitions alongside their fake words and say, how convincing is this? How satisfying is this? Just by uh, like simple ratings. And so we aggregated all that information. And then we got a sense of like all the judges, they thought their explanations for these fake words were good. Um, they would have a pretty high uh, bullshitting ability score is what we called it. So the the ability to to produce something that other humans would, would think sounds pretty good, sounds pretty convincing, uh, and sounds accurate in particular. We asked them, I believe, how satisfying an explanation, how accurate it seems, and then we asked them how smart the person seems. So also a subjective notion of how intelligent they seem based on their bullshitting. It's kind of like um, brain training, isn't it? I could, like, I could talk for Ireland, but if I was to talk about this cup in front of me, I wouldn't be able to. Oh, it's at the very least, I, I'm sure there's like, it's a, probably a mix of things. So there are probably there's an individual difference where some people can just jabber on endlessly about any topic once you sort of prompt them to. Um, and some people could get there with a little bit of practice. 
And so it's, that kind of brings it back to the analogy I mentioned with, with humor, where some people are just naturally funny and quick and smart, and they're able to um, be entertaining without anybody needing to, to push them to do so. And, and in a similar way with the bullshitting, um, you could kind of think it may, maybe it was like a gift of gab, I think is like a common word. People talk about that um, sort of what you're describing, where you could just talk and talk and talk and it doesn't uh, you can actually produce stuff that that's pretty cool and pretty like uh, convincing or um, or nice. And so it's probably something like that feature that explains what we observe with smart people being able to do it well, but uh, not necessarily if someone can't do it, that uh, that they're not so smart. It probably is an additional feature on top of that, that that smartness where the intelligence serves as sort of a prerequisite to getting really good. Um, so I don't know about the, um, the brain training specifically, but definitely what you mentioned of, uh, at the very least, uh, practicing for bloviating, I guess is another good word for it, where you're just kind of just kind of talking. If you've just tuned in, we're talking about the psychology of bullshit and how it links to your intelligence as well. We're uh, speaking to Martin Harry Turpin, who did some a little bit of interesting research in how do you measure it and what impact it could have on your overall uh, IQ. And just off the back of that as well, Martin, can you you can you improve your bullshitting abilities? That's a very good question. I um, uh, when you get to people who study human behavior, people are, are going to vary uh, on terms of how much most human faculties are trainable. Some people are of the opinion that humans are pretty blank slate sort of uh, agents, and if you give them enough training in everything or in any old thing, they'll get better at it. Uh, and then some people tend to be a little bit more what you'd call nativist, where most of your attention tendencies are going to be fairly inborn. And it, it's sort of like some things you can probably train, some things maybe not. Um, I probably lean towards more of like a nativist kind of thing. I think the sort of people who are naturally good bullshitters, probably it just feels right to them to do it. It probably just feels like, ah, like they didn't really, like the rate at which you have to produce some of these things in like a casual conversation where you can just talk without really thinking about it. It's like, ah, I don't know how much conscious thought really gets in there. Um, it's kind of just like they are just cha- just chatting. But I imagine if you somebody had the targeted goal of I want to get better at this in particular, like um, I think there have been historical schools of rhetoric. There have been people who want to teach people and uh, to, te- to speak well or speak convincingly. I, I guess to say that it's absolutely untrainable would mean, oh, everybody who ever uh, studied the, the the training of rhetoric or the development of, of speaking skills is wasting their time. And I don't think I'd be so confident as to say that. But probably there is a significant individual difference where some people mm. just kind of have that gift of gab and some people um, maybe with effort could get a little better. Could actually be something to put on your dating app, experience bullshitter. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Like that's um, almost certainly... Uh, like a great example, because the goal of dating apps is what you want to be, you want to appear charming. Um, you you have a goal other than um, strictly saying truthful things, like, uh, and you're motivated to lie in that case, right? You want to meet like uh, somebody who you could, you might really like, um, and that sort of uh, the intensity at which with you would want to pursue that goal probably leads you to being like, okay, uh, maybe I've uh, like embellished a certain amount of achievements, say. Um, I think the, it's everywhere, I guess, is, is part of what I'm, I'm uh, trying to say there, is that it's in any domain where people are going to be competing with each other and the criteria for success are not going to be perfectly concrete and specific. Like think of weightlifting. Weightlifting, you can either lift the weight or you can't lift the weight. There's not really a, a way to sort of schmooze your way 
into a better weightlifting score or like running or, or like a sprinting. Like you can either, you either sprint uh, within a particular time or you don't, but every other domain where humans are wanting to do better um, than one another. And there's room for a subjective evaluation criteria. People will, uh, it's bullshit. It's, I, I would, and this, uh, not there's not perfect evidence for this, so it's my sort of uh, hypothesis or speculation. Maybe bullshit will creep in whenever it's that that subjective element. And dating is a perfect example where there's a lot of subjective uh, evaluation going on. Uh, before we let you go, we appreciate you giving up your time tonight here on F104. By the way, um, what were some of the for you personally some of the most interesting things that you found from from this and just from studying bullshit in general? Um, the most interesting, I guess, um, some of the most fun was experiencing how easy it is to kind of be bullshitted yourself. So we did a study where we, um, a, a previous paper where we, we got a bunch of abstract art and we, uh, had some art that was computer generated and some that was made by, by humans. And we randomly generated pseudo profound sounding titles. And what you find when you're going through these, these set of, artworks with the titles it's like wow that sounds pretty good actually like this is a randomly generated nonsense title that's uh, just made to sound sort of profound and and just pure randomness some of the elements of it are going to match this ran- also this uh, randomly generated abstract painting and it's like wow that, that just kind of works like that is nobody tried to make these two things match but I'm, I'm just falling for it myself right here um so i guess uh the ubiquity and the no matter how like clever you are maybe um finding yourself being able to fall for it or, or finding yourself fall for it in, in ways that it's obviously more fun if the if the ways you fall for bullshit are in like low stakes avenues. You don't want to fall for bullshit in such a way that'll get you um, killed, say. Uh, uh, listen, our, our entire show is built around bullshit. So any excuse we had to get to, to put a bit of academic validity into it, we're all over it. But Martin, thanks a million for popping on F104 tonight. Thank you. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.